Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. Since 2010, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from top experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on the radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to this latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today. We've got a very important show for anybody who wants to succeed in 2018. Uh, As always here on The Nonprofit Coach, uh, you can call in, as the announcer said, at uh, 347-324-324. 3080 to speak to our page two expert uh, today. Uh, you can also email me at tedhart at tedhart.com with any questions you might like to ask. Uh, as always, here on the Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. Each month here on the Nonprofit Coach, we have uh, someone from CFRE International come uh, provide us an update in what we call the CFRE Minute. And today, uh, very pleased to uh, welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach, George Hamilton. George, welcome back. Oh, thanks very much for having me, Ted. So, George, our, our theme today is how to succeed uh, in 2018 for all of our listeners. Uh, so can you help us understand what's going on, what are the updates uh, at CFRE, uh, and more importantly, what should our listeners know about CFRE for 2018? Um, well, CFRE um, is, you know, is closing out an, another successful year in terms of growing the credential and its impact in the philanthropic se- sector around the world. Um, we're on pace again this year to, to have an all-time high of uh, applications come in for initial certification. Um, and again, recertification rates for the CFRE credential remain um, a bit higher than the average for the professional certification marketplace. So it's going to be another strong year of growth in CFRE credentialing, uh, both in North America and around the world. Um, we are actually looking forward to welcoming on board our newest participating organization partner, um, our president oh, and CEO, yeah, uh, the Korean Society for Philanthropy is actually becoming a CFRE participating organization, uh, and Eva Aldrich, our president and CEO, is actually traveling over to to Asia um, early in December um, to to welcome them officially as as a new PO. That's terrific. Well, congratulations on the growth of CFRE uh, as a truly international uh, designation or certification. So, um, tell us more about for our listeners. What should they be doing to prepare for success in 2018? Well, 
any fundraisers who have already started their application should should be thinking about and looking at the uh, the CFRE exam testing windows for 2018. Um, the first window does begin in, in mid-January, and the application deadline for that window, if if somebody's application is ready to be submitted and they want to want to earn that CFRE in the in the first testing window of the year, they'll need to have their application submitted um, by January 15th, um, and then four total testing windows during during the calendar year 2018, um, each one running for two months. And all that information is available on our website, um, www.cfre.org. But for those who are, who are close, close to having enough points in their application to, to sit for the CFRE exam, um, just be aware that the deadline for applying for that first testing window is coming up in, early, in, in mid-January. Mid-January. So, so one of the most important things, of course, as we say here on the, the nonprofit coaches, that we do encourage professionals uh, to stand for testing. Um, that uh, that adds to uh, to our profession to be able to show uh, that we do have a body of knowledge that we do hold ourselves accountable to, uh, and so we certainly encourage our listeners uh, to go to cfre.org uh, where they can find out more information, including uh, the deadlines that are coming up. And we are uh, live casting over on Facebook today, so feel free to follow us there. Uh, and we I'm posting the CFRE. Uh, .org website uh, over on Facebook today. Um, any other updates, George, for the uh, CFRE Minute today? Um, just that um, you know, it's been a, it's been a great year, and we're looking forward to to serving fundraisers and the and the fundraising profession um, again in 2018 with a with a growing, valid and reliable professional certification credential. That's terrific. Happy holidays, George, and thank you again for uh, joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach today and helping us prepare, uh, plan for a successful uh, 2018. That's uh, George Hamilton uh, from the CFRE International Headquarters. Thank you, George. Thank you. Uh, and next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, we are heading on over to page two. It is my pleasure uh, today to welcome back here to the nonprofit coach, uh, Penelope Burke, author, researcher, fundraising expert, and the president of Cygnus Applied Research, uh, who understands donors and what they want more deeply than just about anyone in the business. And the reason for that uh, is that she conducts uh, an annual survey and research studies that provide uh, insight into uh, not only the fundraising profession, but more importantly, uh, as I have called her here on the nonprofit coach, the donor whisperer, uh, where she brings to us the results of her studies that uh, more than a quarter million um, American donors participate in uh, to help us learn how to succeed. Now, uh, there was such success, uh, Penelope, of your show when you were just with us here on September 12th. Um, it's so much uh, interest in your topic and in your data. Um, our producer, Diane Peach, brought, was able to bring you right back here on the show. And our focus today, uh, Penelope, as you and I uh, discussed in, uh, in the green room, um, is to help our listeners expertly plan for success in 2018 based on the insight of the uh, Burke uh, Donor Research Study um, and the information that you can bring to us, insight into what's in the minds of donors. Um, so how's that for uh, teeing that up, Penelope? And uh, I want to ask you to give a little bit of introduction to this topic yourself. Well, Ted, you've presented me with quite the challenge, uh, but it's a thrilling one. So I have gone back into the last few years of the Burke Donor Survey. You know we've been doing this survey since uh, 2009, so we have amassed quite a body of information over those years. And I've picked out for your listeners five key finds from, uh, from these surveys, some real gems that donors have offered uh, to the questions that we've asked. And I want to talk about them with you today. Okay, terrific. And in doing that, after you've uh, sort of shared with us these five top tips for success 
in 2018. If our, if our listeners really pay attention to that, um, give, give us a sense of what kind of insight is this? Because we're so used to, I think, um, you know, most nonprofits uh, have gotten the message a long, long time ago to look at their own data, to look at giving trends, to look at, but that's very insular to their own organization. What you bring uh, with your survey is much broader to that and really getting into the mind of the donor. So help us understand sort of on a 30,000 foot level, what does the Burke Donor Survey do for us? Sure. In the big picture, um, it's a two-part survey. So in part one, we ask donors to look back at their philanthropy in the previous year and tell us whether they gave more last year than the year before, gave less, stayed the same, and why, and where there might be potential for giving to go up. And then we ask them to look forward uh, to tell us what they're planning to do in the coming 12 months or so, and uh, how not-for-profits can develop relationships with them differently in order to unleash their philanthropy at a higher level. And we know they have more to give, not all donors, but in the most recent survey, which we conducted in March and April of this year, 35% of all donors in the survey and an astounding 52% of the youngest donors under the age of 35 said they held their philanthropy back. They actually have more money right now that they could be giving, but they're not doing it. And so we're very and, eager and to find out what, you know, help what our was unleashed I, I know we want to get to your five top tips, but specifically I just have to ask you, 35% of donors overall have more philanthropic desire to give, but they didn't. They held that back. And 55% of younger donors, which, of course, is the future of philanthropy, uh, right there, 55% of them are saying, gee, I could give more. Um, why are they not giving that money? Well, there are so many reasons, and that's why I sort of went back through my surveys and said, well, Ted, you and I have a limited amount of time on your show, and so if I come up with five of my top reasons that we could focus in on, that is going to unleash philanthropy. And so, absolutely, here we so go. I, uh, let's get into the, the the top five. What I do want to let uh, my listeners uh, know is that you've been very generous in offering a fifteen dollar off of the Burke Donor Survey Report. Um, there is a coupon code. We're posting that over on. Uh, Facebook uh, today. That coupon code is uh, Ted Hart 2017 uh, to get that discount. So for those who want the just released uh, survey uh, for themselves, um, please go get a copy there. Um, and Penelope, let's start down the path of your top five tips. Okay. Number one, this may be hard to believe, but restraint raises more money than soliciting too often. And I'm going to give you a great example, which is a story that goes back to 2004. Um, Everybody uh, will remember that at the end of 2004, there was a huge tsunami in Asia, and uh, uh, relief agencies all over the world came to the rescue. And among those relief agencies were Doctors Without Borders who within the first two or three days on the ground were able to assess uh, what the need for their unique services would be. Um, And by the end of the third day, they knew how much money they needed to intervene in this incredible disaster. Well, from day one, the money was, uh, uh, people came to uh, the aid of of those who were suffering in this uh, tsunami. And Doctors Without Borders, among all kinds of other organizations, was receiving all kinds of contributions without even asking for it. By Mm -hmm. January 4th, which was about eight days after the tsunami had happened, Doctors Without Borders had raised so much money that they knew they could not assign all the money that had come in to tsunami relief. So they held a news conference worldwide and, believe it or not, asked people to stop giving to them for the purpose of tsunami relief. 
that they would be happy to continue accept donors' contributions if they were willing to give to one of their other chronic needs, like the disaster in Darfur, for instance. But in all good conscience, they knew they couldn't spend it on tsunami relief. So they gave donors choices, either give to somebody else. So that's else. what you mean by, by restraint. But, but also, um, could, that, could that be seen as uh, honesty? Well, yes. And here's what happened as a result. It's certainly true that on, December, on January 5th, the day after the press conference, the number of contributions to Doctors Without Borders fell off dramatically, but it didn't cease altogether. And what happened was that donors, in particular donors of means, who have been waiting for a signal from an organization that knew its own limitations, knew exactly why it was in business, and was willing to be dead honest with people, um, uh, donors of means then stepped up and started to give to Doctors Without Borders um, uh, in a completely unrestricted fashion. And I know yeah. that because I, uh, I was given permission by one of the Doctors Without Borders national offices in Canada to come in and analyze their data. And they actually raised more money after January 4th, after that press conference, than before. And so what donors were saying is if you know um, exactly what your mandate is and you don't take advantage of donors by raising more than you can actually spend on the issue at hand, then donors will reward you with more money completely unrestricted. So it, mm -hmm. it was quite um, it was quite a story. So yeah, incredible story, and so many lessons to uh, be learned there. You're you're, you're viewing that as restraint, which I think is absolutely correct. Um, but the response was to the honesty um, of the organization, and not just saying you know money for money's sake. But we know what yeah. it takes. We are the experts. And so people were drawn to their, the, the honesty of their own capacity. Yep. That, you're absolutely right. And 2017 brought forward a number of examples. There were just a huge number of disasters, as everybody knows, natural disasters. Uh, but there, were, uh, there was also political upheaval. And organizations like uh, the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, um, gained from having many, many new donors who rushed to their aid because they were under political threat of losing their funding or having their government funding uh, seriously reduced. Uh, and so there are different versions of emergency. So those organizations should be looking at how they respond to all those new donors and to their existing donors who stepped up their giving during 2017 to, um, uh, uh, to help them and how they're going to come back to these donors in 2018. How, uh, what are they going to tell them about where they put them, uh, their money? They need to show mm -hmm. them responsible results before they go back and solicit them again. Mm -hmm. And, that, and that's, that comes through loud and clear year after year um, in your report is, is the value that donors put on, on honest reporting. Yes, absolutely. Uh, honest reporting reduces donor attrition, and uh, donor attrition today is the number one, one reason why not-for-profits make much less money than they could. So I know I've said this on your show before, but it's <clears throat> worth repeating that uh, donor attrition across the not-for-profit sector is 90% or higher, and mm -hmm. uh, that's the long-term donor attrition. And earlier donor attrition is now frightening. Two out of three donors who make a first gift to a not-for-profit do not make a second to that same organization. And with mm -hmm. donor acquisition costs being high and gift value being low initially, that is a huge waste of money and professional time. So exactly. uh, restraint is one of the ways in which we keep donors on side, restraint and honesty. So, so uh, c coming back to your five top tips, so we've got restraint, 
Where do we go from there? Mm-hmm. So the second is the other side. You know, if, if you're one of the organizations who's listening to this broadcast and thinking, well, I'm not in disaster relief and I wasn't under political threat in 2017, so um, if money is being diverted to these organizations, where does that leave me? And so my second is, you know, good news for everybody else. Uh, their gain is not your loss. Um, it turns out that in this year's Burke Donor Survey, we surveyed donors specifically on uh, whether they were giving to uh, organizations under political threat or, or uh, giving to disaster relief and how that would affect giving to organizations they had traditionally supported. And only 13% of donors said they were shifting money from their existing philanthropic budget into uh, these organizations. Uh, 50% said there was no change at all. Uh, 16% said that they were increasing their budget so that they could give lend support to these other causes, but not at the expense of organizations they traditionally support. So really, um, and the rest of the donors were unsure. They hadn't made a decision yet. But it's really good news if, if organizations are worried that um, there's going to be a migration away from their traditional fundraising choices. Uh, donors don't intend to do that at all. And the other point here is that regardless of the level of an emergency, donors cannot sustain an emergency fundraising mentality for long. Uh, so that is, it's really good news for everybody. And your best bet, if you don't fall into the emergency fundraising category, then your best bet is to showcase your universal and your positive results-oriented case. It will attract strategic donors who want to invest in long-term solutions, not just short-term relief. So fair to say that number two, or, or would would you say that number two is is that donor loyalty does matter, and it still registers. It matters and it registers, and it's a big priority with donors. You know, if they, if a, mm-hmm. if something unusual or unexpected appears, most donors will find more money to address that. Uh, but they want to stick with organizations that have a strategy. So helping donors understand that your organization doesn't just have a mission, but it has a plan uh, to improve the level and or quality of service over the next several years. And here's how we are doing it. Uh, This is what we're focusing on right now that we need, for which we need your contributions. So the strategic approach always wins the big gift. Right, right. And to a certain extent, you're you're also – uh, sort of taking away uh, for some fundraisers, sort of a, a you know a, a favorite uh, excuse, uh, and that is, well, we're not the flavor of the month, you know, we're not the 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 latest uh, 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 disaster, and so therefore we, you know, the fact that we're not succeeding is somewhat tempered by that. And what you're saying is, no, no, the the, the data doesn't actually support that. If you're doing a good job, you're building that loyalty that loyalty will be paid off. And while there are sort of flavor of the month or disasters or, or other sort of aspects of fundraising, your data is showing that donors um, don't, by and large, shift their giving. Uh, they may expand their giving. They may stretch their giving during those times. But, but the majority of those in your survey report that they remain loyal to those charities that are doing a good job, reporting good results, that they still believe in, they keep their loyalty. Absolutely. Yep, you've summed it up okay. really well. Okay, Number terrific. Three. Well, that, I mean, that's good news for all of our listeners, I think, for, for all the professionals out there, that it is worth putting the time into building those relationships. And this is a principle that we've talked about on this show many, many times, is that this isn't just a numbers game. This isn't just how many emails you can send out, how many direct mails you can send out, how many special events you can run. It's actually going back to basics and building on the relationships of those who are closest to you and to identify 
those that they can bring to the table um, based on their relationships. But um, your data is showing in sort of your in your top your number two uh, tip here that putting the time into that, as most professional fundraisers will, is going to have a longer lasting effect than just sort of the quick hit of a of a successful email campaign or a direct mail campaign of new donors who, as you said, two out of three of those are not going to return. Yeah. And it's great to have that large volume of donors at the bottom of the pyramid, but fundraisers learn in year one of fundraising school that most of the money that uh, development department makes comes from a minority of donors who are giving more generously. So that key is, yes, you've got to keep that pool churning and happy um, and satisfied so that you can draw those donors up out of the pool. And I'm going to come to this in recommendation number five, but as a teaser, I'll say that if you think about your donor base right now, that are the mass of donors giving largely through direct marketing uh, programs or large-scale events, one-third of those donors are making significant gifts down the road to somebody else. And they could be giving them to you. So that's just And a, they could be giving that to you, exactly. Yep. That, that's an important point. Uh, Penelope, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we want to jump right into number three on the top five tips that you can take away to plan for fundraising success in 2018 right here live on the Nonprofit Coach uh, with uh, Penelope Burke, and we will be right back. Every day, millions of people are online, many of whom want to help, volunteer, and donate to a good cause. Nonprofit organizations can use many Google tools to reach potential donors around the world and raise more money. And as an approved nonprofit, it doesn't cost a thing. It's all free. Google Grants helps you promote your website with free advertising on Google.com through the AdWords program. With Google AdWords, you create ads and choose words or phrases related to your nonprofit organization. When people search on Google using one of your phrases, your ad will appear next to the Google search results under the Sponsored Links section. AdWords allows you to target certain geographic areas, dates, and times of day for your ads to appear. YouTube for Nonprofits is another tool that can boost donations to your organization. The program offers a number of perks that get your message out there and drive viewers to take action and donate. You can list your organization on YouTube's nonprofit channel and add call-to-action overlays on your videos to drive viewers to donate. Need help analyzing your website traffic and marketing effectiveness? Google Analytics is a free tool that will give you rich insight and help you increase the number of people that visit and donate to your site. Google Analytics can be invaluable to many people in your organization, such as development directors, marketing staff, and your web team. There are many other tools that can help you reach more donors and raise funds, like Google Checkout, where you can process credit card donations with no transaction fee, Google Sites to create a free website, and Website Optimizer, where you can figure out the best landing pages to turn site visitors into donors. To get started, apply for Google for Nonprofits today. And we have provided a link over on Facebook today uh, to google.com forward slash nonprofits. Uh, for all of our listeners who would like to uh, benefit uh, from that program or learn more about that program. Uh, grab your calendars. I'm, I'm very sorry to say that I've got a couple of weeks off from the show, so I will not be live here. Um, so we're, uh, we're going to post uh, for you uh, as a reminder um, to go to tedhart.com. Uh, where you can find all of our radio shows, uh, all of our podcasts, um, so that uh, you can get caught up on prior really big shows. I will be uh, between now and the next show in New York and in London. Uh, I will be coming back, however, and this is what you want to circle on your calendar. You want a big bold on December 19th because December 19th, Kay Sprinkle Grace will be back with us for her ever 
popular holiday show. One of the most popular shows here every year on The Nonprofit Coach is Kay Sprinkle Grace, where she gives her insights uh, into uh, what you must do in 2018 for success. And of course, that is our topic today based on the data of the Burke Donor Report. And uh, so uh, we are going to uh, head right back uh, to um, the show and uh, Penelope Burke. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we are back here live with Penelope Burke. Uh, who is the author of the Burke Donor Report. Uh, Penelope, as, as you heard, we're sort of, uh, you're going to be back-to-back here with Kay Sprinkle-Grace. Uh, similar topic, different approaches. How do we succeed in 2018? Uh, we are up to uh, topic or, uh, tip number three in your top five tips for success in 2018. Take it away. Number three, be very, very cautious about premiums and token gifts. In our research study this year, we asked how not-for-profits could inspire more generous giving from donors who were planning to give the same this year as they gave before or even to give less. And uh, the number two response, second highest response, stop sending me unwanted gifts and trinkets. Okay, so... So all of, all of those uh, those little peel and stick uh, items uh-huh. that I get, and, and all of the Christmas cards, and all of the pennies, yep. and all of that. So all of that does not add up to making donors happy. Why is that? Well, fundraisers do it for good reasons. Um, uh, they send uh, gifts after donors give as a token of their appreciation. And uh, they send them with this, with genuine respect in mind. But the problem is that that's not the message that donors receive at the other end. Donors tell us uh, that when they get one of these token gifts, um, they think uh, that the organization didn't actually need the money that they just raised and that their compelling appeal, which you know, a few minutes before they said, if you don't step up to the plate, we can't get our work done. And then they turned around and sent some of the money back in a token gift, and so the appeal itself was illegitimate. So it's the, I, I know the message sent and the message received by donors are two different things. And it's a problem this is, because... This, yep, this go of ahead. course... It, it, well, Penelope, I just, I just need you to help me understand something because, of course, this data, which is solid data from the Burke Donor Report, strikes at the heart of PBS. So this, yes, they're they're sort of the, the kings and queens of, of token gifts. Um, mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. how – and I sort of feel like um, because PBS continues to do that, they must feel – either some sort of obligation or maybe their donors have a different expectation, but they also have sent the message very clearly to the rest of the nonprofit sector. This is a way to succeed. So let's, let's sort of take this apart a little bit because clearly we have uh, professionals listening to this show who see that PBS does that sort of thing all the time. It's their hallmark. Mm-hmm. It's sort of what they're known for. So is it that they, their donors have a different expectation than the average donor that's supporting a nonprofit, and therefore it's not actually the kind of example that the average nonprofit should follow because the Burke Donor Report, the, you know, the donor whisperer here is saying, hey, this is not as valued as you think it is. Yes. Um, some of it uh, is accountable for by demographics. So PBS and NPR donors tend to be somewhat older, and uh, older donors tend to cooperate with premiums more. I'm not saying that they like them, but they don't necessarily stop giving when they get them. So most donors are saying, if we really believe in the cause, we continue to give in spite of this waste of money. 
uh, not okay. because of it. And that's the misunderstanding. Now, every once in a while, an organization can come up with a premium that actually works. Now, the mm-hmm. best one I've ever seen, it's actually one that I recommended for a client that was in uh, uh, their mandate was in um, public awareness about brain injuries, uh, particularly concussion. And uh, they ran a very large clothing pickup program as one of their means of raising money. And I suggested to them that they put the 10 signs of concussion on a laminated doorknob card that was the size that fit neatly into a number 10 envelope. And they could either mail that out to donors or when they picked up bags of clothing off people's front porch, they could leave that hanging on the doorknob and they could even write across it a little thank you uh, note. And that's something that speaks to their mission directly. It's exactly who they are and what they do. Uh, And uh, uh, and it's, it's a good thing. So it's not seen by donors as a token in that case, but as a product of who they are and what they do. So that really works. But but that's a different. But it's very kind rare. Of, uh, <laughs> uh, but but that's a different kind of premium, isn't it? I mean that's that's mm-hmm. a premium that's directly related to the mission and work of the organization. So wouldn't it be fair to say that that a donor receiving that would not necessarily see that as the same kind of token gifts as sort of, you know, peel-off labels or, or Christmas right. cards or, or things of that sort that, that although maybe nice or maybe even nicely produced, do not have a connection um, to right. the mission of the Yes. Now, most not-for-profits would not be able to come up with a gift or a premium that was directly connected with their mission. And so my advice mm-hmm. to them is, just don't send them. Just don't send don't them send anything. Them. Donors don't want it. Uh, but if you are, and, and I would say you brought up the uh, subject of PBS and, or NPR. NPR once did have a gift or a token that I thought, aha, that one's dead on. It's really valuable. Uh, uh, it was um, <clears throat> something like a, oh, it's a, like a little key you put in your computer. But if you were driving from state to state and you were listening to NPR on the radio and then your station went um, out of focus or out of reach and, and you're madly searching on the dial for where the next NPR station came in, uh, this thing would automatically tell you. So, you know, that's really valuable and it speaks directly to who they are. And so that's a great token and something worth raising money for. But if it's not connected to the mission, don't do it. And, and there's one other thing that we don't think about um, uh, underneath it, and that, that is that sending these token gifts reveals kind of a lack of understanding about what inspires donors' philanthropy. Um, uh-huh. Donors find them contrary to very deeply held views about why they give. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, why, when, they, when we ask a question... What does it feel like when you give? I just hold my breath because donors' answers are so personal, so deep-seated that Mm -hmm. you would never want to uh, insult that by giving them something they don't want, which costs, I know it doesn't cost much money per piece, but it's the principle of the thing that philanthropy for donors is among the top three things that are most important in their lives, uh, and, uh, well, and, and they when, think when about it long question, and hard. When you ask that question, I, I dare say that probably the the biggest response coming back is not "What's in it for me," and and so therefore the the data suggests that there are other reasons why people give, and therefore all of our professionals here planning for success in 2018, I'm sort of hearing number three as a caution that it's not necessarily um, a restriction on don't send tokens. Um, They're not necessarily valued. You need to know that if you thought that they were, they're not. However, there's sort of a a corollary to that, um, and that is if it is 
seen or would be seen by a donor as directly related to the mission of the organization, it may bring some value. But don't be drawn into thinking it's a must or that it's it's necessarily valued. No. We've asked donors in so many research studies, what is the best recognition you've ever had? 90% of donors will say a sensational thank you letter that read like nobody else's. That's that's what mm-hmm. they want, and that's all they want. Yeah. And by the way, they don't want other stuff stuffed in there with the thank you letter. Just a, a beautiful <laughs> short letter that expresses yeah. be, how be no sincere. Don't. That's yeah. Be sincere. Don't send the thank you letter as another ask. Oh, good God! Never do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that happens a lot. That does happen a lot. It does um, so, happen, uh, but it's. We've got That's today the here on over solicitation. <laughs> exactly, uh, which, which which again does not does not yell out restraint. So that that takes away number one. Uh, so live here on the nonprofit coach today, Penelope Burke and the Burke Donor Report, uh, sharing with our listeners today the top five tips from the Donor Report, uh, the Burke Donor Report on how to succeed in 2018. Penelope, number four. Okay. Number four, this is a very happy news story, story, so I'm not telling you what not to do in this one. There is hidden opportunity in your event sponsors. And uh, it took me 30 years to learn that. And the reason I say that is my first job in fundraising, well, actually, getting my first job in fundraising was a surprise enough because I had applied for a job as um, director of public relations and advertising, which was my strength. And when I got the job, I found out it was all fundraising. (laughs) So that's how I became a fundraiser. Um, uh, And this particular organization raised almost all its money through events. And a lot of them were participatory events like uh, renaissance or bowling events where the participants got sponsors. Um, uh, and uh, at the time, now this is way back in my very early career, so it was, it was way before uh, signing sponsors up online or anything like that. As a matter of fact, there was mm-hmm. no online when I started my fundraising career. So there were um, uh, pledge forms that were printed. There were five carbon copies attached, and people would have to fill in the name of the sponsor, the amount that they were pledging per mile or whatever, and go back and collect the money from sponsors after the fact. And these filled-out sponsor sheets would pile up in boxes in my office until they hit the ceiling. And I often wondered whether there was any merit in uh, developing a list of those sponsors and trying to convert them into direct donors. But it wasn't until 30 years later in one of the editions of the Burke Donor Survey where we actually zeroed in on about 7,000 donors who had sponsored someone in a walkathon or runathon the previous year uh-huh. uh, to find out uh, whether there was any potential for direct giving among sponsors. And the short answer is that, yes, there was. So if you consider... Okay. Um, if you consider a sponsor to be doubly arm's length, you know, their attachment is most strongly to the person who's participating in the event, and that makes sense, right? Your, your cousin or your colleague is, is running in a marathon, and so I'm sponsoring them. But about 18% of sponsors, oh, excuse me, about 50% of sponsors said that one of the reasons they agreed to sponsor was because of the mission of the organization that was hosting the event. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. And 18% of sponsors said, yes, they would give, uh, make a direct gift to that not-for-profit because the mission was important to them if the organization asked them to. So if you compare that statistic uh, to acquisition statistics online or in direct mail, for, for example, uh, it looks like converting sponsors into donors would be um, a much higher value activity than just trying to acquire a mailing list cold 
of people who've never given before to your organization. So if you run um, a large-scale <laughs> event and there are sponsors, <clears throat> A, I would recommend you test uh, a direct ask to sponsors to see what kind of response you get, but you give yourself um, an even better chance of success by working through the runner or the participant in the event. Um, Which, of uh, course, a great uh, way to do you know, that. Online, yeah. online tools um, make that even more possible um, by yeah. being able to go back to that initial donor and ask them, you know, thank them for participating in that walk, ask them if they might also assist you with your holiday campaign and provide them with mm-hmm. the tools through which they can do a, a separate solicitation. But, again, they're going back to their donors. And this is something that we've talked about so many times on this show, and it goes back to this principle of honoring the relationship. So what you're saying is uh, tip number four is that sponsors could become uh, donors but understand that there is an underlying relationship that needs to be respected. Um, in doing so, you're going to be more successful. Yes. And respected, the real relationship respected, not fake. And what I mean by that, I'll give you a personal example. A very good friend of mine ran in a 10-mile 10, 10 race. And for her, that was a big challenge because uh, she was not an experienced runner. So this was something she was doing because she was devoted to the cause. And I sort of pledged as a sponsor a pretty good uh, contribution. And the day after the race was over, I got an email coming from my friend, and in the header it said, I did it. And at first I thought, you did what? And then I remembered, oh, wait a minute, my friend ran in that race last weekend. So I eagerly you know, opened up the email, and I was quite excited to read what she had to say, and the email started, Dear Supporter. Dear Supporter, yeah. Dear Supporter, so So you know it it did not come from my friend. Yeah. Right, because your friend knows who you are. She would have never called me Dear Supporter. (laughs) That's right, exactly. Uh, Well, so again, honoring that relationship, which just just kind of permeates behind all of these, uh, these, uh, these tips, um, so the top ten tips, or top five tips, I'm sorry, uh, from the donor, the uh, Burke Donor Report for success in 2018. Let's round this out. Number five. Number five is uh, focus. How do you know which of your donors that you've already got in your database? How do you know which have potential? And I'm going to tell you a riddle. Um, and. I bet you can come up with the answer. It's the classic salesperson's riddle, and it goes like this. In sales, there are four customer groups. Group one buys everything, every product you come out with. And so salespeople love to have group one customers, needless to say, on their roster because they're very profitable. And we know donors like that. Every time you ask them to give, they come back. Group two customers, they buy a fair bit, but not all the time. So you have to have your sales skills really well honed in order to get group two to buy, but they're still very profitable when they do. Uh, group, and here's the riddle part. Group three hasn't bought yet, but they will. And group four hasn't bought yet, and they will not. What's the difference between group three and group four? What is the difference? Um, the salesperson. The salesperson. Yeah, there you go. Yep. So the skill. Yep, there you the skill go. Of the person. Yep. It's the skill. It's the skill. So if you take that uh, riddle and you apply it to first-time donors, so you think about any donor um, that you won for the first time in 2017. And by the way, that alone is a statistical miracle. So we shouldn't um, underplay the value of a newly acquired donor because there are, at any moment in time, 1.2 billion competitors trying to get that person, and you got him or her. So that is a huge accomplishment. 
knowing what I said earlier in the show, that two out of three first-time donors will never make a second gift to you. And of those who do make a second gift, only about 20% make a larger gift. Uh, And by the time you've asked them five times, almost all of them are gone. So those are are the actual statistics. Yep, they're gone in fundraising And and you you have to listen. For our listeners, you have to listen to this data because I think, you know, going back to uh, number one, restraint, is, is also having a plan. Because if your plan is to just solicit the entire list as often as you can and just hope to run out the statistics that someone will accidentally make a contribution or click on your, that is not a plan. That, that is no. not a sustainable future for your organization. And what you're doing in the Burke Donor Report is you're giving actual actionable data that says, listen, donors are telling you when they will give, how they will give, and what their expectations are. You fulfill Mm -hmm. that. 2018 will be much more successful. You don't do Mm -hmm. that. And and what you're, you're pointing out here is the simple statistics are against you. Two out of three of those new donors are not going to return. And when you solicit the, the one remaining donor, five or more times, they're going to be gone too. Yep. Yep. So if you go back to the riddle and the definition for fundraising of group three or group four, in that group of newly acquired donors, some, the minority, yes, but some will give again and some won't. But the fundraiser doesn't know that. And so you have to keep soliciting everybody over and over and over again until finally you come to the conclusion that this person who I've asked six times now to give again and has never done it is probably not going to give again. So the value of the gift they did make way long ago has been completely eaten up by these additional appeals. And so the riddle actually helps you focus. Yeah. Yeah. But but Penelope, the donor knows that. The the donor in receiving all those solicitations – whether they're consciously keeping track of it or not, they're mentally sort of keeping track of the fact that I know it spent a lot of money for you to solicit me all these times, and that first gift that I gave to you did not go for what I wanted it to. It went to soliciting me for more money. Yep, simply. So here's the strategy to improve the situation. It costs you nothing, and it makes you feel great by the end of the day. When you get a new donor, very quickly, within a matter of days, pick up the phone and call that person and say thank you. You will likely leave a voicemail, no problem. Voicemails are just as effective as reaching the donor in person. Call the donor, say thank you, say we've just learned that you've given us a gift for the first time. And I wanted to call you myself just to say how very much we appreciate your support. Mm-hmm. And, that and here are some alone, that is that intervention. That's the salesperson moving in. Brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. That's all you- and, and I'll add a couple of uh, uh, add-ons to that because this, Penelope, is a terrific way to get your board of directors involved. Now, obviously, they're Absolutely. not going to call every $5 donor, but at some threshold, you can find a number of uh, donors. Well, I'm just saying they may not have time to do that. Um, but there is a threshold at which you could say, you know, would each of your board members agree to call five to ten donors a month, less than one call a day, they're a board member, yep. and they're calling to say mm-hmm. thank you. They're not calling to That's solicit. It. They're not calling to do anything other than say thank you. It's a wonderful way for board members to be involved in a very happy event of saying thank you. And the, what they're going to learn and the conversation that they have is going to be very important to the next stage in, in that relationship. And another tip that, that, uh, that I'll add to, to yours, and this is just absolutely brilliant that you're bringing this up, that you know, for 2018 there's a lot of things you can do for free that, that can yep. really make a difference uh, with the donor um, because the donor gets it. The donor understands what you're doing. And one of the things that just it, it surprises me that it blew people away is that when I became president and CEO here at, uh, at CAF America, 
one of the first things that they did is they came to me uh, to ask me for my signature for my digital signature for thank you letters. And I said, well, what are you talking about? Um, and they said, well, you know, so that we can put your signature on thank you letters. I said, yes, I'll sign them. And they said, well, you know that's going to be thousands of letters. And I said, yes, I will sign thousands of letters if people are going to send us thousands of checks. Um, and, and for five and a half years, I have personally signed every single thank you letter, regardless of amount. And But I've made donations to charities where the most that they could bother to do is to send a postcard saying thank you mm-hmm. with no signature, no information. And I'll tell you, I didn't necessarily appreciate the the amount that I gave being printed on a postcard for anyone to read. And yeah, read. right. Um, so it Absolutely. really did not feel personal. It did not feel like a thank you. I would have rather said, listen, ignore my gift and don't send me the postcard because it's not a genuine thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, just extending on that, because this is number five, the last point I'm making today, and I'm assuming that most of the people listening to this show are working fundraisers. I think so most are, I or executives, that, or board members. Yeah. Yep, okay, great. That um, it's fantastic if your CEO and board will pick up the phone and say thank you. But you should do it too. Because there's only one perk in the fundraising business. Fundraising is hard. It's stressful. Uh, There's a a lot of expectation on your shoulders. And the only Mm -hmm. perk in the fundraising business is talking to donors when you're not asking them for money. And it's a wonderful way to begin and end your day. Make one phone call first thing in the morning and another one before you go home at the end of the day. And by the way, the end of the day is not 7 or 8 o'clock at night. It's (laughs) 5. Right. Right. Well, in terms of making phone calls, yeah, in terms of making phone calls, absolutely. Do do not bother people during dinner. Oh, well, I mean, don't work so hard. You won't oh, have work to so work uh, sixty hours. Well, I think yeah, I, 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 I think you're, you're, uh, you do this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think uh, that's a little hard for most of the folks during holiday time. We understand that this is this is uh, a very pivotal time for nonprofits, not only to oh, raise yeah. a lot of money during the holidays, but also this is the planning time to plan for that success in 2018. Yep. So we've only got, uh, and and this is not going to surprise you, Penelope, because we could talk all day. Your information is so important and, and so valuable. We only have three minutes left, so I'm going to review uh, the top uh, five tips from the Burke Donor Report for success in 2018. Number one is restraint uh, and or honesty in your appeals. Number two is loyalty matters and will be rewarded if you are loyal to your donors. Uh, Number three is a bit of a cautionary tale. Uh, By and large, token gifts are not appreciated. However, the corollary is if they are directly related and would be seen as the donor, by the donor as being directly related to your mission, they sometimes can have value. Um, And number four um, is that sponsors could become donors. Test this, make sure that you're honest, and by gosh, please remember that there is an underlying relationship that needs to be honored and uh, respected if you're going to get a gift from that sponsor. Um, And that's the the original solicitor. Um, And number five is focus. Focus, focus, focus. I'm going to add to this. I think it's focus, but have a plan. And that plan needs to be uh, say thank you. Properly, respectfully say thank you. A thank you is not another solicitation. Um, and that there are lots of ways that you can focus and have a plan for thank you that does not cost anything. How would I do on summarizing the top five tips for success by Penelope Burke and the Burke Donor Report for 2018? Holy smoke, Ted, you're fantastic. <laughs> Terrific. Well, we've perfect. only got about a minute left, so Penelope, please make sure my listeners know how they can reach you. Yes. Um, first of all, uh, go to our website. Our company name is Cygnus, C-Y-G-N-U-S, Applied Research. C-Y-G-Research.com is our website address. You can follow me on Twitter, at Penelope Burke, and that's Burke, B-U-R-K, with no E on the end. Um, and uh, you can download the great, and I know, Ted, thank you for offering 
um, our 15% uh, discount coupon on purchase of the Burke Donor Survey. There are, it's 110 pages long, 75 graphs and uh, 50 recommendations on how you can raise more money right now. It's a terrific report. And Penelope, thank you for coming back so soon and helping us succeed uh, for 2018. Thank you, everyone. Do not forget uh, our next show is with the great Kate Sprinkle Grace. And that's our show for today. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.